Okay, um, with the, the recent passing of our Queen, with the recent death of uh, Queen Elizabeth II, over the, the past number of weeks, there's been much in the way of reminiscing, and there's been much in the way of looking back over uh, our Queen's reign, hasn't there? Um, it's understandable. Of course it is. The longest ruling monarch in our nation's history has just died. It would make sense, wouldn't it, that everywhere we look, there is comment about the nature of her reign. It makes sense. I wonder, though, if you've noticed a slight, subtle change in focus in just in recent days. So from looking back, now there's a look into the present. Charles has just ascended the throne. And if you've been paying attention to the commentary, there's a lot of speculation, isn't there, about, well, wait a minute, what are we in for here? How is this new king going to rule our nation? What's Charles going to be like as a king? After all, let's be honest about it, he's had quite a long time uh, to plan uh, for that section of his life. Well, this morning, what I want us to do in these moments together is to think about kingship, not to think so much about Charles in these moments, but actually you and I to think about the kingly rule of Jesus Christ, the kingly rule of Jesus of Nazareth. And to do this this morning, what I want us to do is actually to change our instrumentation. What do we usually use at St. Peter's? We usually use a microscope, don't we? We will take a section of the Bible from the end of Genesis, it would appear in recent times, and we would put this section of Scripture under the microscope, wouldn't we? And we'd inspect it, you and I, and be line by line and, and, and word for word. What I actually want us to do right now is to replace that microscope for a camera with a, a, one of those fish-eyed lenses. I wonder if you see the idea. This morning, what I want us to do is to approach Scripture and to consider Scripture more widely. So yes, this morning, we've got a text, and it's 2 Timothy 2, verse 12. And yes, we will get there, okay? You, you have my word on it. We, we will get to the text eventually. But before we do this morning, what I want us to do is to consider what God in the Bible says to us more broadly about Christ as monarch, Christ as king, Christ as the ruler over all people and all things. So that's the idea this morning, and there is, there's a few things to cover here, so I, I want to get cracking. I'm going to hit the ground running. And so the first thing that I need you and I to think about here, to get our heads around, is a distinction in Christ's kingly rule. So that'd be the first thing for us to think about, a distinction in Christ's king, kingly rule. Okay, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I want to be honest with you to start with. I think, as, uh, looking back, I think for the longest time, um, as a Christian, in my Christian experience, just to be frank with you, I have found the idea of uh, 
the kingship of Jesus, I found it really quite difficult for me to get my head around. So um, I've looked at that in Scripture, and it's evident, isn't it, that, that as God, Christ is always king, yes? And yet, in my Christian experience, you read the Bible, and there's language that suggests that there's Christ becoming king. And I found that for years really, really difficult to get my head around, to work out what was going on. And then, uh, just to speak personally, I read of a theological distinction here that just transformed it for me, that really helped me to understand something of Christ as as king. And I want to bring it to you this morning, see if perhaps you already know it, but perhaps it will help you today. And I have to say it with a caveat, with a warning, that it does involve a couple of theological terms. So I will say to you, I couldn't care less if we get the terms or not, right? Really, I don't care in a way. As long as we all go out of this room today getting this distinction that lies underneath the terms, okay? So so we'll go for this, right? We'll deal with the terms, but we'll focus on the distinction underneath. So what are we dealing with, okay? So listen, please. Although Christ's kingship is one thing, one big thing, Theologians draw a distinction between his ontological rule and his economic rule. Follow it, please. What does this mean? So there's a distinction between Christ ruling because of who he is as God and a distinction between that and a distinction between Christ ruling because of what he has done as Messiah. We follow it immediately, don't we? On on one hand, who is Christ? As God, he's king, right? And there was never, ever a moment, never a moment, where Christ as God was not, there there will never be a moment where Christ as God is, is not king. That's on one hand. What's on the other hand? The situation is, that it is true and right biblically to speak of Christ becoming king because of what he has accomplished for his church in redemption. Is everybody with me? Christ ruling on one hand because of who he is, Christ ruling on the other because of what he has done. You're with me, aren't you? But let's do this. Let's press on it. Let's press on it. Let's unpack it just for a moment because it's beautiful to behold. So what was on one hand? We had, what was that? His ontological rule. What does that mean? Listen to what it means. It means that Christ Jesus is king over all things. That's what it means. It means that Jesus Christ today is king over all of our laws. He's king over all of our politicians. He's king over all of our government. Christ Jesus is king over every country that is represented in this room. Every country that you can think of. Christ Jesus is king over all people who have ever existed from all times. Do do you follow that? More than that, Christ is king over all planets, 
all solar systems. He is king over the sun and the moon and the stars. Yes, Christ is king over all of mankind. But you know, it gets better and bigger. Christ today is king over all of the heavenly beings and all of the angelic beings. Christ's jurisdiction knows no bound. Isn't that glorious? No bound whatsoever. Christ is God. He sits on his throne with a crown on his head and earth today is Christ's footstool. We have just sung in Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Christ's ontological rule. What was the other? Can you remember? Can I test you in your, your theological terminology? Ontological rule. What of the economic rule? What does that mean? Because it's different. What does it mean? Ah, oh, the greatest of all privileges, let me remind you of the gospel. Just for a moment. Do you know the gospel? Friends, we have by nature rebelled against God. Man is at enmity with God. But listen, what has Jesus Christ done? Listen, before the creation of the world and the hallways of eternity, Christ Jesus has agreed to engage in a work of redemption. And it is a work that will see Jesus Christ enthroned in an entirely new way king in a new way. Do you see it? Christ Jesus agrees to to take upon himself flesh. He agrees to live amongst us, to, to suffer instead of us, to die for us. Then what happens? He rises. And in that event, what do we see? But Jesus Christ's enthronement ceremony. Do you see him? He becomes king in a new way through the resurrection. What Jesus Christ has done through his redemptive work is reclaim the throne that Adam lost. He reclaims the throne that Adam vacated in the garden. Christ becomes king through redemption. And and wait, wait a minute. Over whom then does he rule? In this new spiritual kingdom. Who does he rule over? And you know the answer, do you? On Max, we could say he rules over us. Now think about that and how beautiful it is. Right now, today, the Lord Jesus Christ, as king, he rules for the benefit of you, his people. So Christ as king rules with love for you and rules with grace. Now, He rules until such a point that this king, your king, will return. So to trumpet sounds and all the pomp and ceremony of divine monarchy, Jesus the king is coming back and we will see our king and we will all fall before and bow to this great monarch. When you see these things, what do they have in common? his ontological rule, his economic rule. Christ, king over creation, 
Christ king over his church, what holds them together? Let me tell you, both things right now demand your worship, don't they? Ought we not to bow and praise Christ, this majestic king? Now, as we take this subject this morning, and as we try and dig into it for a little bit uh, just now, what I want you to focus on with me is his economic rule. Okay, so today, we're not so much focusing on Christ as king over all of creation, not so much of his rule as who he is as God. What you are thinking about with me just now this morning is Christ's rule over his church and his spiritual kingdom. So that takes me to a second matter. We thought about a distinction. The second thing that we need to think about is the nature of Christ's kingly rule over his church, okay? The nature of Christ's rule over his church. And with this, I, uh, let me try at least to sound like I'm not an old man. <laughs> uh, I'm going to sound like an old man. I don't want to sound like an old man, but I'm going to sound like an old man. Because, listen, if we were to take uh, modern music, see, already I sound like an old, a minister cannot stand at the front and talk about modern music and not sound like an old man. But if we were to take modern music, R&B, pop music, whatever it be, and if we were to analyze it today, what we would find as today there is a tendency from contemporary artists to use samples from music from the past. Okay? We understand that, right? We get it. The young people, the students definitely understand it, don't you? We get the idea. So if, if we were to listen to a recent release, some contemporary music, and if we went to that with a good back catalogue of knowledge about music from the past, we would listen to that track and we might be able to know, oh, wait a minute, They've sampled a bass line from a 1970s tune, right? Do you get the idea? Or you listen to a modern piece of music. See, I told you I would sound old. Uh, or we listen to it and we go, ah, they've used a guitar track from a Michael Jackson song. Do you get the idea, don't you? Uh, you see the idea sampling what was used in the past, used it for the benefit of today. Believe it or not, Christian friends, that's what I want us to do right now. Because what we ask him, really, we're trying to work out, like, Christ is king over us. What, what does that look like? How does Christ rule? And there's something that was written in the past that really helps us to understand this, okay? So what was called, um, what is called the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Have we heard of this? Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's like a summary of doctrine, that summary actually dealt with this very question that we're wrestling with just now. And the Shorter Catechism gives us three answers to it. And I just want to bring those answers to you and mention those answers to you, okay? So are we all as a congregation clear of the question we're asking? Christ is king over the church. So, so how does he rule? What does Christ do? How does he execute the office of king? We've got the question, do we? Here's the three answers. Number one, Christ as king subdues a people to himself. He subdues a people to himself. Okay, right, I'm going to need your help just for a moment uh, with this. Um, 
I want you to use your imagination, young and old, because we've got the, quite a few of the, the young people in here today, so I want you to listen. Let's all do this. I want you to use your imagination for a moment. I want you to imagine uh, that you are a monarch in the ancient world and that you are trying to expand your kingdom. Okay, so what are you just now? You're a, a nurse, all right? Or you're a student, a teacher, or you're retired, or you're a school pupil. No longer, no longer. You're suddenly, you're a monarch from the ancient world, okay? You like it? You like your new throne? And you're seeking to expand your sphere of influence and expand your kingdom. So my question is, how are you going to do that in the ancient world? Listen carefully. If a king in the ancient world wanted to increase their influence, expand their kingdom, the first thing that they would do is look to their surrounding enemies and seek to conquer them. You know this. It's from church history, from normal history, don't you? What would an ancient king do? They would look to see their neighbors in their surrounding nations. Usually, right, hostile. Don't you agree? The neighbors usually vicious and violent. And what would that king do? The king would invade their land, wouldn't he? The king would seek to take and conquer those people and bring them back to himself. Oh, if you're a Christian, do you not recognize in that something of what Jesus Christ the King has done spiritually in your own life? Do you not see it? Christ this King from his heavenly throne, has identified a people for himself. He has gone to us, and Christ Jesus has conquered us. Don't you see it? If you look at the church, those who were formerly on the outside of the kingdom, those who were formerly enemies of this king, hostile spiritually, violent spiritually, Christ the king, he has conquered us, and by grace, Christ the King has brought us to himself and made us loyal subjects, loving subjects, obedient subjects. Will you listen to Scripture? Isaiah 55 is beautiful. It's speaking of the Son. Listen to this. You will summon nations you know not, and they will hasten to you. Why? Because God has endowed you with splendor. We're asking Christ as king, what does he do? He subdues a people spiritually to himself. Okay, okay, fine. What else does the shorter catechism say? There's a second strand, and it's this. As king, Christ Jesus also defeats his people's enemies. Christ as king defeats his people's enemies. If we were um, today, you and I, to go on a bit of a reading binge, I don't know if you like to read or not, but if you were to go on a reading binge and if uh, we set out the rest of the day and we were determined to read the rest of the Old Testament scriptures, see a reading binge, it might not take us as long as we might think, but if we were to read the whole of the Old Testament, I think one matter that would obviously strike us is how violent the Old Testament scriptures are. Isn't that the case? The Assyrians rising to fight Israel, the Philistines doing the same. There's a lot of blood in the Old Testament. 
Now, because of that, an essential element of the Old Testament office of king was that of military protector. You can see it, can't you? What did the ancient people want? They wanted a king who would protect them. Isn't that right? A king who would act for their defense. Now, this morning in here, as we consider Jesus Christ as king, do you not see something similar in his activity? What does Christ do? Come on! What has he done? But Christ as king acts to protect his bride, his people, his church. From whom? Come on, how would you answer that? From whom? From what? You might say, Andy, from sin. Absolutely. Christ our king in his death, he has destroyed the power that sin has over his people. What else would you say? Christ protects us from death even. Isn't that glorious? Our king, in his resurrection, he has smashed the hold that death has over his subjects. We ought to rejoice in that. But there's another area. Because I need you to appreciate, Christian friends, you have one great enemy. One that we very seldom consider. Who is it? But Satan himself. And you ponder with me what Christ Jesus has done Our king has waged war on our behalf and he has defeated your greatest foe. Now you think of that. Yes, okay, you want to say, yes, we are going to have ongoing skirmishes. There will be ongoing raids from the evil one. What's the bottom line? The bottom line is the outcome of this war is known. It is already assured at Golgotha. But think of it, the humiliation of it. At Golgotha, by this almighty king, condescending, yielding himself to a sin-bearing death. By doing this, Christ Jesus, your king, has won for you ultimate victory over sin, over death, over the flesh, over Satan. He subdues us, but what does he do, our king? He defeats our enemies. And then the third thing from the Shorter Catechism is this. It's the last thing from the Shorter Catechism. What does Christ do? As king, Christ also rules sovereignly. So he subdues, he defeats this king, but because he's king, he rules sovereignly over his people. I wonder if you're a monarchist. I wonder if you love the monarchy. I wonder if you have been paying attention to the narrative Uh, of recent days. I found it really fascinating the last couple of days. Um, There has been an awful lot of speculation about William, and there's been a lot of speculation in the last couple of days about King Charles. If you believe everything you read, uh, then you will have heard that there's been a bit of a -a tete-a-tete between Liz Truss and the king, There's the speculation today that, especially when it comes to stuff like climate change policy, that this new king wants to be much more involved than his predecessor, right? So there's speculation, whether you believe it or not, speculation that the king, King Charles, is going to be a bit more interventionist 
in policy than Elizabeth was. Okay, now, whatever, you know, I'm not making comment upon that in any way, shape, or form. I'm sure you would agree with me, regardless of that is true, whether it's true or not, you know, whatever. I'm sure you'd agree with me that a king in this country today is largely a representative role. Now, don't hear in that any criticism. <laughs> don't shoot me. It's not meant as critical in any way at all. But it is the reality, isn't it? That a king or a queen today in Britain is a figurehead for us. You know, with honor, with all respect, a representative role. They represent the subjects. Yes? It's not critical. It's factual. That's what they're doing. We have to understand, though, that is a million miles away from the role of a king in the Old Testament scriptures. Like a king in the Old Testament, a king didn't just do acts of charity. So a king in the Old Testament didn't just greet foreign dignitaries nicely. That's not what a king in the Old Testament did. What did a king do? They ruled. Now, do you follow the idea? A king in the Old Testament, they made the military decisions. They made the legislative decisions. And then there's a further aspect to it. And get your head around it. That a king in the Old Testament, they also even made the judicial decisions. If you think about Solomon, King Solomon... He has these mothers before him. He's making a judicial decision. He is saying right from wrong, good for evil. They made even the judicial decisions, these kings. And this morning in this place at St. Peter's, as you recognize that Jesus Christ is king, and as you recognize that Jesus Christ actually fulfills the Old Testament office of king, does that not give you pause for thought? not just fall before Jesus Christ. Because what is the nature of his rule? Jesus of Nazareth rules, yet yeah, with absolute sovereignty. I mean, Jesus even provides for you in the, the Sermon on the Mount a charter for kingly rule and, rule and, and living in his kingdom. That's true. But what was that element that I just made, that, that I just mentioned? Think about this for a moment. Christ as king will one day execute judgment. He will execute judgment. I want you to consider this. I want you to consider that all of, you've got a lot going on in your life, right? But all of human history is rapidly moving forward to this point where everyone who has ever lived will be found in the throne room of Jesus Christ the King. You've got loads going on and there's problems and there's worries and family stuff and illness and work stuff. Consider it. Your life is moving forward to that moment when Christ shall execute justice from his throne. Jeremiah 23 makes this promise. Listen to it, if nothing else. God says, the day is coming when I will raise up a righteous branch and he will reign as king and he will execute justice. So, so a day coming when 
All people who have ever lived from all parts of the world, all ages, all of them, all of us will be summoned. We will stand in that courtroom and we will be individually judged by the one who sits upon that throne. When we hear that, when we give even two seconds of thought to that, you can see the question we have to ask right now of ourselves How is that moment going to go for us? Oh, I urge you to think about that. How is that moment going to go for you? Because listen to me, it can go only one of two ways. And that moment, through our repentance and our belief, we can hear Christ declare us a loyal subject. Imagine that, Christian friend. You're going to be before the throne and the king will look at you and smile. The king will welcome you. He will hold you. It can go that way or on the basis of our consistent unbelief in this life, we will be in that moment declared a traitor to the king and we will be sent away. There is one way or the other. There is no neutral ground Should we not consider it? Should you not consider all of history moving forward to this moment where every single knee bows to this majestic king? So we see a distinction. Then we see the nature of Christ's rule over his church. I want to close the sermon. I want to close our time of worship just by a third thing, and that is just looking at a couple of further implications, you can see there's an implication there. If Christ is fulfilling the office of king in the Old Testament, Christ one day will execute justice and judgment. You can see that implication. I want to close with two further implications. There's one for today, (laughs) and then there's an implication for tomorrow, if you allow it like that. So there's an implication of all of this for how we live today, right now. And then there's an implication for, wait a minute, how it shall be for you and for me uh, in the future, okay? So what's the present implication of this? I think the first thing that I have to say to you, and I have to make clear, is that right now, as I am speaking to you, Christ Jesus is on his throne. And Christ Jesus right now is active as king. Okay, we've got, to, we've got to establish that. So you know by now, if you've been at St. Peter's for any length of time, you know what Christ didn't do in his redemptive work. So Christ did not die on the cross, rise, and then ascend. And we do not read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ ascended and then said, see you, see you later. Jesus did not ascend, mean it with all reverence. He does not ascend. Look down to his church and say, bye. I'm going. I'll be back. But on yourselves. Over to you. You see the idea? Right now, Christ Jesus, though bodily in heaven, Christ Jesus is active. And he is active in executing his kingly rule. Right now, that's the first thing to say. The second thing that we need to add to that I'll I'll read a quote, and I want you to consider it. Here's the quote. Christ's heavenly rule today is exercised 
through earthen vessels. Does everybody hear it? Christ's kingly rule today is exercised today through earthen vessels. What's the idea there? The idea Scripture makes clear is that what Christ has done, he has appointed officers in his church. And Christ has appointed officers to execute his kingly rule until such time as he returns. Now, did you hear that? So the idea of the priesthood of all believers, isn't that a beautiful reality? It is true and it is glorious, but it has to be viewed alongside the fact that Christ has appointed church governance. So what has Jesus Christ done? He has taken the keys of the church. What's that? The preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments, the discipline of the saints. Christ has taken the keys of the church and he has given them to officers, elders in his church who are to execute Christ's kingly rule. How are they to do that? Oh, wow, come on. They have to do that humbly, don't they? They have to be servant leaders. They are to govern in the church with grace and with love and full diligence. And at all times, they are to govern subservient to God's word. But do you see it? And what does it do in your heart? What does it make you do? First thing it should do is make you pray for these officers and elders in your church. Think about the responsibility they have. Second thing should make us consider our own heart towards those elders and officers. And the third thing, it should make us running, make us run to God's word to find out more about what Christ has done, more about church governance. So there is a present implication of Christ's heavenly rule. How does he execute this office of king? He does it through earthen vessels. But I close this morning, with a future implication. And (laughs) at last, I get to the text. (laughs) At long, long last, we get to the text. Because I need to say this to you uh, this morning, friends. Christ has not yet fully consummated his rule. So if I was to go out the doors and go down to Perth, down to Perth Road, and I was to accost someone in the street, and if I was to ask that person, who is king in the United Kingdom? What are they going to say to me? They're going to say, Charles is king. And yet, what is going to happen on the 3rd of June next year? It will be his coronation. He is king. But yet, the coronation is still to come. I hope you understand. Christ is king. But there is a day coming when Christ Jesus shall return. And on that day, he shall fully and completely establish his royal authority. And it is beautiful. Christ our king is coming back. But what I find wonderful is what God promises you on that day. Now, let's put, if we can, this, the text up on the screen. Let's look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 12. What does God promise you? What will happen when Christ Jesus returns? Do you see it? Look at it. 
these words. On that day, as God's people, we will reign with him. Is this just an isolated promise in God's word in scripture? Revelation 5 says exactly the same thing. Revelation 5, Christ people are going to eternally serve God and we will, you will, reign on this earth. Isn't that a glorious promise? Do you see the, the fulfillment, the bookends in God's word? What happened in the garden? Adam was made to have dominion. Wasn't he over all the animals and over all of the earth? And we ruined it by all of our sin. But what happens through Jesus Christ, we will one day experience it. You will enjoy dominion. You, Christian friend, you are going to reign with Jesus Christ over the new heavens and the new earth. What does that force us to do? I think it forces us to bow, doesn't it? It forces us to praise. Who is Jesus? What would you say at the end of the sermon? Who is Jesus? He is king. Who is Jesus? He is the king of kings. He rules now and evermore he shall reign. Friends, let's bow our heads and let's pray.